Would you please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 22? In the Old Testament, the sixth book of your Old Testament is Joshua chapter 22. I'm excited to look into this chapter today. We're in the backside of our series. We're wrapping up this series on the Old Testament book of Joshua Today and then next week, we're going to say goodbye to Joshua for a little bit. And the series that we've been in is entitled Transitions, and we've been following the children of Israel as a transition from wilderness wandering into the promised land. And what many of us have been discovering is how much we have in common with these people. And today, we're going to talk about misunderstandings and conflict. And how they're inevitable, especially in times of change and transition. You know, as we read this text, we, we learn that it's been seven years. It's, it's been seven years. Now, I want you to think back in your own life, seven years ago. In your own life, seven years ago, what were you doing seven years ago? Where were you working Where were you living seven years ago? How about your family? Maybe some of you didn't even have children seven years ago. How much did you weigh seven years ago? (laughs) What color was your hair seven? Yeah, I mean, we can go on, we can go on and on and on. But it's been seven years that the Israelites were finally allowed to cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. And some of you might be thinking as you turn to Joshua chapter 22, wait a minute, why are we in 22? I mean, just last week, weren't we in 10 or 14 or, or something like Why are we skipping ahead so much? Well, if you've actually read chapters 15 through 21, I think you might understand why we're skipping all the way to 22. Chapters 15 through 21 are about the land that the Israelites claimed. It was about the kings that they overthrew. And, and, um, and you have chapter after chapter after chapter of land that they divided and people that they gave it to. Now, it's interesting reading for some, but really not too many. And uh, the question, I think, for us would be, why is it there? Why, why are all of that chapters 15 through 21 there? Now, I think we need to remember to bring us back to that this book was written in real time. And, and as they read it, they're thinking of names. They're seeing faces, and they sense or they can kind of see land divisions as they divide up the land. And these are their ancestors as they read these words. This is their land. And this historical record means a whole lot more to them probably than it means to us today. But I need to remember that this is not some vague book written by some monks in a cave that are putting together some sort of fairy tale, hoping someone's going to read it and buy into it later on. This is the original, as we read chapters 15 through 21, the original title deed, if you will, to land that was given by the Lord himself. And that's why it's important. But let's take a look at Joshua chapter 22 in verse 1. Verse 1 says, 
Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I have commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. It's been seven years, and I think it's important for us to understand that, that since it's been seven years since they trusted the Lord to cross the mighty Jordan River at flood stage. And it's been seven years since they stood in front of that strong-walled city of Jericho and they trusted in God's crazy plan to conquer that city. It's been seven years since the collapse of their army at that little town of Ai and then the disappointment of the sin of Achan. And it's been seven years in fighting battle after battle after battle with their band of brothers. And it's been seven years since they've seen their wives and their children. So what happened since the Israelites have crossed the Jordan is there are 12 tribes, remember. And two of those tribes, before they crossed the Jordan River, if you remember from chapter 1, they asked Moses, Hey, Moses, we like this land on this side of the Jordan. I know you said we need to cross, but we have livestock, and we see that this land on this side of the Jordan is good for our livestock. Can we just stay here and have that land? And Moses said, well, let's make a deal here. We need your warriors, and we need your fighting men. And if you cross the Jordan with us and fight with us, When we're all done, you can cross back over the Jordan and you could take that land for your livestock and your families, your wives. So it's been seven years. If you want to call it, it's been a seven-year deployment for them. The battles were fought, the land has been claimed, and now that two and a half tribes, they're ready to go back and claim their land. And Joshua says to them, I bless you. And remember to love God, obey him, Remember to serve him. I bless you, so go ahead and go back to your wives and children. And in the next few verses, Joshua loads them down with money and livestock and clothes and riches. And the two and a half tribes go back across the Jordan. But then something they do is very interesting. Take a look at verse 10. It says, When they came to Gileath near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that's two and a half tribes there, built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gileath near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. It's just strange to me. I, I, I think, wait a minute, what the heck is going on here, Right? They were fighting together, and they crossed over. They built an altar. What, what, what's going on here? For seven years they fought together, this, this, this nation of 12 tribes and families and brotherhood, and, and now the two and a half go back across, 
claimed their land to go back to their wives and their children and livestock with riches in their hand. And now the nine and a half tribes turn around and they want to slaughter the two and a half. It, it's, it's strange to me. I, I, you, you read this and you think, what, what's going on here? It's like, I don't know if you've ever, ever done this, but I do this often. Sunday morning, I get up early, get myself ready, come here and, and prepare uh, to worship, preach a message, go to class, have some donuts during class time, but go to class, and then, uh, and then after that, it, we have a big lunch, and I'm just really full, and I've, I've spent a lot of emotional energy, and so then I go home, and I plop myself down on the couch, and I turn on the TV, and I turn on a football game. Now, we don't have a team here in L.A., but, you know, I have teams that I like and, and things, and I'm watching the game, and, and um, you know, f- first quarter, second quarter, and then my team's up by two or three touchdowns, and halftime happens, and the game's not on anymore. So then I get sleepy, right, a Sunday afternoon nap. So I fall asleep, and I'm thinking, I'll just sleep during halftime, but then I wake up about the middle of the fourth quarter, and what happened to my team? They were up by three touchdowns, now they're down by one. What's going on? And, and you, it's sort of you get up and you go, what happened, right? And I feel like that's exactly what's happening here. Everything was going great. They conquered the land. The two and a half tribes said, it's time for us to go. Joshua says, great, let me load you down a little bit. Cross the Jordan. They build an altar. And all of a sudden I read this, and the nine, 9.5 tribes want to go back and slaughter the two and a half. Let's take a look at what's going on here. Verse 13. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And with them they sent ten of, the chief men, uh, ten of the chief men, one of each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. And when they went to Gilead, to Reuben and Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord, and now you're turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share in the land with us. Do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan, son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. So now we're getting an idea here, but we're still, let's unpack this. The 2.5 tribes go back to claim their land. They are sent away with Joshua's Joshua's exhortation. Be blessed, love God, obey him, serve him, have some riches. The 2.5 tribes are excited as they cross the Jordan to rejoin their families again. They cross the Jordan, they build this big rock altar. And then they hear the sound of war in the distance. The sound of troops marching against them. Then this delegation approaches and confronts them for being disobedient. Now, in verse 17, you'll notice that the sin of Peor is referenced there. Now, in your Bibles, if you write in your Bibles, and I hope you do, treat it like a textbook, or in your notes, write Numbers 25. Numbers chapter 25. You can go and read that this week. It's a, 
it's a uh, PG, it's an R-rated uh, chapter, so um, be careful. But uh, now everyone's going to read that. Everyone's writing that uh, number 25 down. But anyways, uh, that's what the sin of Peor is all about. And then in verse 20, they also bring up the sin of Achan. And, and we, we studied that about three weeks ago. But I think, what's going on here still? Verse 21. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they're clearly anxious when they hear the, uh, the, um, the troops. They see this delegation. They're clearly anxious. And they replied to the clans of Israel. Verse 22. The mighty one, God the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord. See how anxious they are? I mean, it's, 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 they're, it's strange here. He knows, and let Israel know, if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, they said, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings and sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at a sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. You see, it's, it's, it's clear what's going on here. There's a misunderstanding. The two and a half tribes said, we know about this deal and this land arrangement that we made with Moses. And you know about it too. But what happens in the future when people come and see that that Jordan River is this natural boundary you might not, they might not know about this arrangement that we made with Moses. And so we built an altar as a reminder to anyone that we worship the Lord on this side of the Jordan too. Verse 30. And when Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel, heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Now Phinehas and the other leaders returned and gave a report to the whole community of Israel, and everyone praised God after hearing the report. And then they called the altar a witness to remind them that the Lord is God and that they are all one family on this side of the Jordan and on that side of the Jordan. So, here's the question for us today. It's an interesting story. It's clearly a misunderstanding. But has that ever happened to you? Like, you assumed something, and all of a sudden you hear the real story, and you go, oops. I mean, here they just said in verse 30, they were pleased. But I think... That's an understatement on, uh, on after the war and after they sent that delegation over. Uh, you ever get in a situation, especially during a transition, during a time of change, that a conflict develops, emotions and tensions arise, 
You ever been there? It's common for people who are going through transition and change. Maybe you're celebrating, or I guess you're not celebrating, a birthday, the day that your child is born. Well, you've been carrying this child, not you, but she's been carrying that child for, for nine months. And all the uncomfortability, all of the excitement, and, and, but one day it's here. The contractions are three minutes apart. You throw everyone in the car, you go down to the hospital, and it's, it's tense, it's exciting, it's, it's time of high anxiety. Isn't that time ripe for misunderstandings, for presumption and conflict? How about... It's your first day of school. That baby that was born on that day, four years later, fast forward, and, and you've been nurturing this child, and sure, you put him in some preschool, some nursery, but it's kindergarten day. It's that first day of school, and that clothes, all those clothes are laid out, and that child is excited. They got that backpack going and everything. You take him to that school, and that's a time of change and transition. Isn't that time ripe? Not just for celebration, but a time of, that's ripe for presumption in misunderstanding and possible conflict. We just celebrated some graduations over the last month or so. And sure, that's exciting. The families that were in the stands just last week at, at West High School, many of you were there, and, and there's tears and emotions, and it's exciting, and the kids are graduating from high school and maybe going off to work or college or, or wherever. But even that time, when you're in a time of transition, it's always ripe for a possible conflict. I went to a wedding yesterday, and I'll tell you, wedding days, that, that day of transition, that wedding days are always a day filled with excitement, but it's always filled with, if something goes wrong, how is everyone going to handle that? These transitional moments, as dreadful or as joyful as they may seem, are ripe for misunderstanding in conflict. And so let's do this. Let's talk about working out misunderstandings in conflict and taking a look at this text today to unpack some principles as we consider what do we do in a time of change, in a time of misunderstanding. The first thing we can pull from this is this. Number one is be proactive. Be proactive about the things of God, especially be proactive about the things of God. In our story today, the nine and a half tribes are driven by the thought that they will not go back to what happened at Peor and what happened with Achan. Most of them had recent history of emotional pain from what happened at Peor and what happened with Achan. And they, they, they said, we're not doing this again. And in the pain of sin and mistakes are some of our best motivators to do better next time. So they were thinking, as they see this rock altar being built on the other side of the Jordan, if we even get a whiff of sin from you guys, we're going to stomp it out right away. See, here's some, some of God's instructions to those who are entering into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, Verse 12, he says, If you hear it is said about the one of the towns the Lord your God has given you to live in, that troublemakers have risen among you and have led the people of their own town astray, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known, then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true and it has been proven that this detestable thing has been done among you, you must certainly put to the sword all who live in that town, 
You must destroy it completely, both of its people and its livestock. This is very serious to them. God says if you have sin in the camp, you've got to take care of it right away. So what we need to do as we look at this principle is we need to be proactive about committing to following the word of God. And so as we work on misunderstandings and conflict, especially in times of transition and change, the first is we need to be proactive. The second thing we need to do is this. Clarification before confrontation. Before you confront, you need to clarify. Even though the nine and a half tribes' first response in, in seeing the altar on the other side of the Jordan was sort of over the top. You know, it's sort of, of we're going to go kill these guys. I love their second response. Their second response is, let's send a delegation to check things out. Let's spend a spir- send a spiritual authority and leaders of all the tribes to read a statement, read an edict. And the edict would say something like, how could you build a tabernacle to other gods when you know the only tabernacle is the Lord's tabernacle? And they sent this delegation forward to make it clear that they were ready to go to war. This idea found in Scripture and other parts of the Bible is win a brother before you burn a brother. To call a sister back before you turn her away. And if you can, make sure you talk it out to clarify what's going on here before you confront the possible sin and disobedience. Some years ago, probably now about 12 years ago, I was meeting with two other pastors in the area. And we were all going through our, our, our things in life that we really needed support with. And so every week we'd get together and we would just share our guts. I mean, it just, we'd just spill it all out. We'd pray for one another. We'd encourage and exhort one another to do the right thing. One of the guys, just a really good friend of mine, his marriage was falling apart. And through this three years of meeting together every single week for accountability and encouragement and prayer, we saw this guy's marriage just fall apart. His wife left him. He thought she was having an affair with another guy. And I knew her. And I, I, I just couldn't understand what was going on. And so me and this other pastor, we, we called her and said, can we talk? We're, we've heard from this side the story. We need to hear from your side. What's going on here? We sent her emails. We called her multiple times with no response. We sent her letters, snail mail letters, no response. So finally, we said, okay, we've got to clarify this. We've got to do something about this. And so we showed up to where she was living, and we waited there all day long for her to come home. And finally, towards the evening, I mean, we waited. I, I don't even know. We, we waited, and she finally came home, and she saw us. And as soon as she saw us, walk, she was walking on the sidewalk, and we got out of our car. She turned around and walked the other way, and we chased after her, and we said, Hey, hey, we got to know what's going on here. 
and she wouldn't talk with us. It was so tragic, but it was so important for us to say, we're not here to say, you're wrong. We're here to say, what's going on? We're hearing this. We need to clarify before we confront. And, and I think it's interesting what the issue was here in, in, in chapter 22. The issue was, one group said, I thought your altar was about this. And they said, no, 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 our altar was about that. And it's similar what happens with Christian churches, especially in, in an area, in a geographic area just like this. You guys sing worship songs like that? We sing them like this. You guys take communion like that? We take it like this. You guys preach like this? We preach like that. It's always an us versus them when you have this sort of weird misunderstanding. But only if we stop to clarify Mostly that we would find that in the essentials, we're all together. We're one big family together. So as we work on misunderstandings and conflict, we need to first be proactive about the things of God. Second, we need to clarify before we confront. The third is this. We need to offer a helping hand before you offer your opinion. You need to offer a helping hand before you offer your opinion. In, In verse 19 in Joshua chapter 22, it says, If the land you possess is defiled, then come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the Lord with us. You see, the promised land has already been conquered. And and the 2.5 tribes, they want to go back to their land on the other side of the Jordan, and so they, they go and do that. And so all of this promised land on the crossing of the Jordan side They divide it up amongst 9.5 tribes, and that's why we read chapters 15 through 21 the way we do. But they said, hey, guys, if you're having issues with your land, come back across the Jordan. And I know we divided up our land nine and a half ways, but you know what? We'll slice the pie different now, and you can have some of our land. We'll slice it 12 ways if that's what it takes. Let's just be together on this. The nine and a half tribes are willing to sacrifice to do whatever it takes to keep the whole nation together. Galatians chapter 3, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And I love this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. To my church family that I love don't ever get tired of doing good of carrying each other's burdens we know that there are so many needs here just just in this room here so many of you us are so needy and there's nothing to be ashamed about there that's what the church is for that we carry one another's burdens we're a church that knows and lives out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a model for us, and he compels us to fulfill his mission here at Nova, that Jesus humbled himself. He was fully God and fully human, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross and sacrificed his rightful place in heaven so that he would die on a cross. And for all those who would put their trust in him, 
that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our own sin because of what Jesus did. He paid it by his death. And because he's God, he proved that he was God by rising from the dead. You see, that the, the nine and a half tribes didn't say, hey, guys, get it straight. Clean up your act. God's mad at you, and so are we. They said, you know what? I'm not sure what this altar is about that you built. But if you're having problems, if you need help, what's mine is yours. We need to be proactive about the things of God. We need to clarify before we confront. We need to offer a helping hand before we offer our opinion. And the fourth thing is we need to switch perspectives. We need to switch or change perspectives. Maybe the only way to get understanding from a misunderstanding is to change your perspective and look at it from their side, to look at life from their view, to walk in their shoes. I, I, I love the two and a half tribes' perspective on this. They say in um, verse 22 of Joshua 22, they said, If this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. They, they're saying, hey, you guys are confronting on this, but you know what? If it's true, then, you know, we're, we're the bad ones here. And they went on their side and said, I'll look at it from your perspective. I know you misunderstood, misunderstood our altar, but if it's true, then... You guys are all right. But I look at this story, and I, truth be told, if this were me, and I was part of the two and a half, and I crossed the Jordan, you know, I went on this seven-year deployment with you guys. I didn't need to. Moses said we can have this land. I left my wife and kids to go fight with you. And so it's time for us to go back. You got your land. We're just going to claim ours. And then now you want to make war against us? Are you kidding me? I fought seven years with you. I left my wife and kids. That's what I'd say. But they said, oh, I see how you can misunderstand our altar. And if it were that kind of altar, I would kill me too. But how do you switch perspectives, really? I mean, it's hard to do. Well, number five, this is how you switch perspectives, is you need to seek to understand before being understood. It seems simple. It's very difficult. You need to seek to understand before being understood. Instead of saying, how could you? Or how dare you? You need to say, help me to understand where you're coming from. And there's one key word that you can't forget that's going to help you tons. There's one word that you, you can't forget and you need to put to action if you really want to make number five happen. And you can't forget this, and the word is listen. You just need to be an active, attentive, and good listener if you want to seek to understand before being understood. Okay, I've got some parting thoughts, just two quick parting thoughts before we move on from here. The first is this. question is this. What about them? As I read this passage, I, something that we didn't really didn't talk about, but I think this question comes out. What about them? And the way this works itself out is this. How am I being strategic with the next generation? 
How am I being strategic with the next generation? Because as you read this, this is why they built this altar. He says, we, we built this altar so that future generations won't misunderstand why we are camped out on this side of the Jordan while everyone else is on that side of the Jordan. They're going to think because this Jordan is a natural boundary marker that, that us two and a half on this side really aren't part of the Lord's team. But only the 9.5 on this side are. And so they said, we're going to build this altar so that future generations would know. How am I, how, how am I being strategic with the next generation. Now, I want to say this. I'm not just talking to parents here, but I'm talking to everybody here. And I'm not just talking about programs. Pastor Dave announced, you know, VBS, and we have youth summer camp coming up, and there's Nova Kids and nursery and toddlers and pre-K, and, and you know, there's there's all kinds of program, ministry programs that, that we have. I'm not just talking about ministry programs. I'm talking about you and how you have relationship and interact with those of a different generation than you, from younger to older, older to younger. How am I being strategic about connecting with this other generation? Next parting thought I have is this. Not just what about them and how, how, I'm, how am I being strategic, but the next question would be, what about me? Because when I read this chapter, God is on stage. He's out front, and it's just amazing. And I think about this phrase that God would rather punish, I'm sorry, God would rather rescue than punish that God would rather rescue than punish. But what about me? Because what I see on display is the character of God. This is the very reason that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, not to punish us, but to rescue us. The, one of the difference, differences between us and God is this, and I think it's so important that we call this series Transitions. It's so important for us to get this, though. One of the, the big differences between us and God is that God never changes. God does not transition. Human beings go through changes in transition. God never changes. He's perfect. Human beings are constantly changing. We're constantly transforming, constantly changing, becoming more like Jesus, hopefully. And when we change, when we transition in our life, all sorts of things happen. Misunderstandings, presumptions, conflict happens. When I'm in transition, I need to remember the character of God, that God would rather rescue than punish. And so I need to be proactive about the things of God. I need to clarify before I confront. I need to offer a helping hand before I offer my opinion. I need to switch my perspectives, and I need to seek to understand someone before being understood. I need to seek to understand before being understood. Next week, we finish out our series on transitions in the book of Joshua. For now, let's stand for the benediction. There are a lot of sign-ups out on the plaza. It's a beautiful, warm day outside. I know you'll enjoy the friendship and company out there.